This morning we have the privilege of hearing from our friend and partner in the gospel, Dr. Erwin Entz. I first met Erwin about 10 years ago now. He was uh, a teaching assistant at RTS at that time in uh, Bill Fuller Love's Greek class. Um, I actually passed that class, which confirms that both he and Bill are miracle workers. And um, initially, Erwin started off his professional career here in the area as a systems engineer, a project engineer, uh, and then from there, um, felt the call to ministry. And so he went uh, to RTS in 2006. He helped plant City of Hope Church in uh, Columbia, Maryland. In 2016, Irwin received his Doctorate of Ministry degree from Covenant Seminary, and he currently serves as the pastor and director for the Grace DC Institute for Cross-Cultural Missions. Um, since I follow Irwin on social media, I also know that he has crushed some rather impressive CrossFit workouts. Um, Erwin is a leader in our denomination. He's a leader in our presbytery and in our city. And so it's a privilege for me to pray for him as he comes to proclaim the gospel. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for our friend and brother, for the gifts that you have given him, for the ways that you have worked through him to lead your people and to bring glory to your name. And now give him your peace and your power as he preaches your gospel. Give him freedom and courage and help us to see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It is uh, indeed a privilege, a joy, an honor uh, to be with you uh, this morning, even virtually, to bring God's word. I want to turn your attention to our scripture reading for uh, today. It comes from two places. The Old Testament, the book of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 62 verses 1 through 5, and then uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and verses 1 through 5 as well. Hear God's word, Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the beauty of Destiny's children. The beauty of Destiny's children. And would you bow your head once more in prayer with me? Our Father and our God, we are thankful for this word of yours, which is not dead, but is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword that pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And we all, Lord God, are here, uh, an open book before you, exposed to you, the one to whom we must all give account. And so, Lord, would you be pleased, therefore, because you know our needs, to see us where we are, meet us where we are, and give us what we need. Faith, encouragement, hope, correction, joy, whatever it is, Lord, that we would be people who live for the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, over the years, my years of a pastoral ministry, I have performed a numerous and officiated numerous wedding ceremonies. And as a part of that process, typically my wife and I will uh, take the, the couple through uh, several months of pre-marriage counseling. And, and one of the things that we try to emphasize uh, and repeat over and over again with uh, this couple is that we are not simply trying to uh, prepare them for a day, for a wedding day, if you will. We are trying to equip and prepare them for a long life together as husband and wife. It's easy as you prepare for a, a wedding to become consumed all of the details and trying to make sure that the day goes perfectly. And when you're consumed with all of those details, you can easily miss the whole point, which is your union together and the new home that's built by that union. And I always tell couples that the day is going to be beautiful, even if everything does not go perfectly. The day is going to be beautiful because of what is taking place. Many, if not most of us, have I've been to a wedding in these strange and uncommon days. I was at my first virtual Zoom wedding just yesterday. And through weddings, what happens to me 
is I often reflect back on my own wedding day. As I hear the vows, I'll be reminded of my own vows and renewed in my commitment to live them out with my, with my wife. And if you've never been married and attend a, a, a wedding, you can experience a sense of, of longing as you anticipate the, the day when you'll be married. If you were once married and are no longer married because of, of death or, or divorce, while you might be happy for the newlywed couple, the wedding can be challenging. It can remind you of your own loss and the accompanying pain or disappointment of that loss. There can be longing even for relief from that disappointment as you rejoice with the new couple. And so whether your experience at weddings are uh, delightful or difficult, whether your marriage experience itself is mostly picturesque or, or painful, it should amaze us that when God wants to give us a picture of what heaven is like, the imagery that he uses is of a wedding. Do you want to know the destiny of those who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, you need to picture the best marriage you can imagine and then multiply it by infinity. To infinity and beyond, as a Buzz Lightyear might say. When God wants to declare to his people what their destiny is, have the picture in your mind of a beautiful bride decked out in, uh, for her husband in anticipation of life together with him. Understand the Bible begins with a wedding and the Bible culminates. It ends with a wedding. In the first two chapters, the pinnacle of creation, uh, a man and woman and, and the words that you hear at weddings all of the time from Genesis chapter 2, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. But those words were not just for repetition during wedding ceremonies. They also set a trajectory in the scriptures of a forward-looking anticipation of these words in Revelation chapter 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, as she descended out of heaven from God after being prepared and adorned as a bride for her husband, and I heard a great voice out of heaven say, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What does it mean to have this kind of a destiny? What does it mean to be destiny's children? It means a guarantee of beauty, a guarantee of personal beauty, a guarantee of corporate collective beauty where nothing that is not beautiful will ever exist again. As we look at this world, that might sound like a, a fantasy, but it is backed by the full faith and credit of God himself. So I want to hone in on just two things as we look at these passages of Scripture, I want to talk about longing for beauty and living for beauty. 
longing for beauty and living for beauty. Destiny's children live with longing for all things to be made beautiful. That is the longing for everything to be the way it ought to be. They have to become comfortable with the fact that as long as they live in this world, they will not escape the reality of longing for something more and for something better because things are not the way they ought to be. The wedding is scheduled, but they don't know the date. Secondly, Destiny's children, they live together in the reality that the future promise of beauty has broken in on the present world. And as they are being prepared for life as it ought to be, they experience a a life of beauty even today. Therefore, life now is not a hopeless venture. They have eyes to see that renewal and renovation and, and, and transformation and restoration are coming. Longing for beauty. John says, he writes in verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the former heaven and the former earth, they had passed away here toward the end of this last book of the Bible. What we are seeing with greater clarity is how God intends to satisfy the longings of his people. One of the questions that God's people in the scriptures ask repeatedly is how long? How long, David asked in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, the the martyrs, they cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long can you and I wait for things to be as they ought to be? You know the words that are repeated over and over again in the, in the book of Revelation. John says over and over again, I saw this and I saw that. I heard this and, and I heard that. The covers are pulled back for him so that with his own eyes he sees and with his own ears he hears the, the true reality. See, it's not that the things that you and I see and experience in this life with our senses is not true. It's just that what our senses provide is not the full picture. There's more to it. The Lord gives John and the church insight into what's going on behind what you and I are able to just perceive with our senses. The curtains are pulled back and John sees a new heaven and a new earth. The former had passed away. The sea was no more. John is letting us know this is where the world is headed. This is the world's destiny. Not only that, John says, but the holy city, the new Jerusalem, I I saw that too. I saw that that city as she descended out of heaven from God as she was prepared and adorned as a bride for her husband. I didn't only see the destiny of the world, he's pointing out. In other words, I saw the beautiful destiny of God's people. And John wasn't the first or the only one 
to see it or say it. The Lord had declared it to the prophet Isaiah centuries before John was alive. Israel was in exile, longing, longing to be restored to their land. And the Lord gave Isaiah a message in chapter 62 and verses 3 to 5 where he says, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You will no longer be termed forsaken or your and your land will no longer be called desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her. Why, the Lord says, because I delight in you and your land shall be married. As a young man marries a young woman, the Lord says, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In Isaiah's day, the people's, their vision was too short-sighted. They just wanted to get back to a, a patch of land in Palestine. And the Lord had to say to them, your vision is too small. It's too short-sighted. I'm not just concerned with some little piece of land somewhere. I'm concerned with the whole deal. I am remaking and renewing the whole earth. And hundreds of years later, after Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, after he comes to save his people, giving up his life on the cross for their sake, being buried in the tomb and rising on the third day in triumphant victory over death, after all of that, guess what? His people are still waiting. We're still longing when is our resurrection. How long, O oh Lord? The one who sits on the throne has to reiterate, behold, I am making all things new. Write it down, John, because these words are faithful and they are true. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You see, we ache and we groan and we long for things to be better than they are. The compromising and idolatrous nature of humanity is that we try to fix our longings for beauty ourselves. Pastor Rob mentioned that I like to do CrossFit. I do. I try to eat right, you know, do this thing called a Whole30, try to make sure that you know, I'm taking care of my body. I, and when people ask me, what, you know, why, why I embrace that kind of suffering, you know, and sacrifice of all the good things like German chocolate cake and the like, I just say, look, I'm just trying to delay the decay. That's all I'm doing, right? Like, you know, like the, the decay is coming, right? There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just trying to hold it off. The, see, the human mind has been able to discover and develop, right, great medical advancements for which we are grateful for. We put our minds to use through technology, attempting to make life, life better, to heal what's broken, whether it is our bones or our relationships. And I'm glad, right, that I can communicate in this time of quarantine with my family literally all over the 
the world over Zoom. We had a call yesterday in various countries. I, I'm glad the technology enables us to, to stay together and be together, right? I'm glad that medical research continues to discover remedies and medications that, that attack the diseases that attack our bodies, right? We're hard at work trying to do that for this COVID-19 virus, right? I'm glad that the creative genius in humanity tries to strive for something better to make beautiful art and beautiful music. But here's the thing, in all of our striving, in all of our longing, we cannot make things so beautiful, so radically new that there will be no more decay. Death is not the great enemy that is defeated by modern technology. Death is the great enemy that is defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. And John is declaring to us that only God can do this. He is the source of beauty. So only he, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11, can make all things beautiful in its time. Only God can make all things new. It's not the outcome of human scientific or technological advancement. As, as one commentator on this passage in Revelation put it, the new city comes down out of heaven from God, a sheer miracle, a gift that is bestowed at the end of history, not as a result of history. In other words, the beauty of the bride, the beauty of the new creation is not the outcome of human progress. It is a gift from God. That word in the text, behold, Behold, it's not a call first and foremost to do something. It's a call to observe, to look and see. Behold, I am making all things new. Watch and see. It is an invitation to look and to believe and to, re and to rejoice. God is committed to the beautiful renovation of cre his creation. The word for new that is used in the text typically indicates newness in terms of, of quality. In other words, through the victory of Jesus Christ over death, God is executing his renovation project. And as this longing we have for our beautification and the beautification of this world can weigh us down. It can weigh us down because, try as we might, we cannot successfully cover our eyes at the ugliness. That's the challenge. We are actually called to live for this beauty that's coming, <laughs> that we long for. This beauty that we're longing for is not the airbrush sheen of the fa fashion magazine that, that covers all over the imperfections of, of the model, model that's on the cover of the magazine. In her book on Advent, when she writes about the incarnation coming to earth of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, Fleming Rutledge writes uh, about this need to look into the heart of darkness, and she says, to grasp the, the depth of the human predicament, one has to be willing to enter into the very worst. Uh, she says, entering into the very worst 
means giving serious consideration to the most hopeless of situations. For instance, a facility for the most profound cases of developmental disability. What hope is there for a ward full of people who will never sit up, walk, speak, or feed themselves? She says, tourists go to the site of Auschwitz-Birkenau and take pictures, but who can really imagine the smells and the sounds of the most depraved of all situations. She says the tourists can turn away in relief and go to lunch. And I tell you this, those who belong to Jesus Christ are not tourists who turn away in relief and go to lunch. And not tourists who turn away from the ugliness and the things that are racking this world and go to lunch. We are people who live for beauty even as we are longing for it. And so the the challenge is when in this life we get glimpses uh, into reflections of the eternal beauty that's coming, the paradox of it, the seeming contradiction of the presence of eternal beauty alongside the ugliness and the deep depravity of this life can be a burden that is too heavy to bear. In a recent talk on the paradox of beauty, uh, artist uh, Makoto Fujimura, he describes his becoming a Christian in this way. Uh, He was in Japan, he said, studying an old form of Japanese uh, paintings called Nihonga, and he said that the way that Jesus led him Uh, to faith was by confronting him with beauty. He said it was through the extravagant crushed minerals he was using in the artwork, malachite, azurite, gold, silver, and others, beautiful extravagant materials he was learning to use and was mastering. And he said this, he said, every day I sought higher transcendence through the extravagant materials. I found success in expressions through Nihonga materials, and yet the weight of beauty I saw in the materials began to crush my own heart. I could not justify the use of extravagant materials if I found my heart unable to contain their glory. The presence of beauty now is hard to bear because its glory can be too much. Look with me at a few verses beyond our text in Revelation at the weight of glory, not just of God, but of the bride that's being described in verses 9 through 11. John says, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And John says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiant like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. 
If you keep reading, John is beside himself to give us a picture of how beautiful and how glorious the bride is. The walls of the city are built of jasper. The city itself is pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the city are adorned with every kind of jewel, jasper and sapphire, agate, emerald, emeralds, onyx, and on and on. It is a, it is a description of the eternal weight of glory. Listen, the point of John seeing for us and describing for us this eternal beauty isn't simply to make us long for the beautiful, glorious, sweet by and by that's coming. It is, to, it is for us to feel the weight of beauty that Fujimura described and not be crushed by it as we refuse to turn our eyes away from the very worst of the human predicament. See, destiny's children hold on. John gives us his view not just to make us long for what's coming, but to make us equipped to live for beauty in the nasty now and now. The churches to whom John was writing, they were in a fight, right? Uh, they, they were suffering persecution. They were facing poverty. They were facing political oppression. They were facing the temptation to compromise their faith so that life would be better and easier. Do you think civil unrest is something that's new, <laughs> Injustice and oppression experienced by, by image bearers of God is something that's new. The, the people to whom John was writing was ex, were experiencing this kind of injustice. And they were facing the temptation to compromise their faith so that their life would be better and easier. And they needed to know that God's promise that their destiny was to be with him as he remade everything was more certain than what their eyes were seeing and their ears were hearing and their bodies were experiencing. It's the same thing that you and I need to know. The people who have this destiny can live for beauty even as we long for it. Do you understand that because of who God is, he can say in verse 6, it is done. It's done. The Greek text literally says they are done. Not a singular, it is done. Everything I said was going to take place. Everything I promised, they are already done. I'm the alpha and the omega. I am the God of the beginning of history and the end of history and everything in between. Let me close this by sharing just two things that I think help us. Help us to live for this kind of beauty right now. First, first, in Jesus Christ, God has smiled on you. Do you belong to Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Well, God delights over you. One facet of beauty is that it delights. You are beautiful in Christ. We are beautiful. God is looking upon us and smiling. I know we still have problems. I know we still fight temptation, but God is still smiling. Esther Lightcap Meek in her book, 
uh, uh, loving to know, a covenant epistemology. She writes this about personal beauty. She says, a sense of personal beauty comes, I believe, only in the generous, self-giving gaze the noticing regard of another person. And then she says, a sense of personal beauty is nevertheless accessible to all in the life-giving, noticing regard of Jesus Christ. If, when human noticing regard fails to occur, any person may nevertheless experience it in the gaze of the Lord, in the personal uh, redemption and celebration of the Eucharist, she says of Jesus, his alone is the face that will not go away. And his alone is our highest joy. Second thing is this. Listen, nothing is wasted. Here's what I mean. The loud voice from heaven says to John that God will wipe away every tear, that there's going to be no more death, There's going to be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain anymore. Those things will have passed away. But please know that today's tears, today's deaths, today's mournings, today's cryings and pains, they are not wasted. They are not wanted, but they're not wasted either. The outcries that we see in our cities over injustice and pain that people are experiencing, those are not wasted cries in God's economy. Notice with me, please, that what John sees in verse 2 is the holy city descending out of heaven from God after it was prepared and adorned as a bride for her husband. These are passive verbs in the text. What that means is that the emphasis is on God who is doing the preparing and the adorning of the bride. He's the one, in other words, who's selecting the wedding dress. He's the one who's the makeup artist and the hairstylist. He even drove the limo because it says that she came down out of heaven from God. How did he, does he prepare her for the wedding day? It is through the tears. It is through the mourning, through the crying, through the pain. He equipped her to endure by faith as a part of her beautification. Listen, this is what enables us to keep our eyes open and live for beauty right now following Jesus' lead. We live for beauty just the way our Savior did. The reality that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who exists in eternal beauty and glory refused to turn his eyes away from the darkness of our world. So the Son left his beautiful communion with the Father and the Spirit uh, to take on our fragility and our weakness and our vulnerability so that he could restore us to beautiful, intimate communion with God and with one another and so secure in our own beauty. We see the darkness of our world and we keep longing for, pointing out how this world, even though things are often terrible and tragic, how this world is still charged with the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of God, even as we keep working for beauty. Would you pray with me? 
Father, thank you that you are the God who exists, who dwells in beautiful, glorious, unapproachable light, and you have made us, your people, beautiful. May you bless us to press forward, bringing the message of your beauty, even as we long for you to fulfill it completely in and through Jesus Christ. Amen.